Hey everybody and welcome to the Fathom and Hippie Podcast. My name is Andrew. Today my guest is Martin Vigeland. He plays bass and sings in the Swedish doom band Domecraft. They've got a new record out called Seeds. It's their third full length on Magnetic Eye. It is a great record and he's talked a lot about it other places and you should go and check all of those conversations and reviews out. Go check out the video interview he did on the Obelisk, especially. Uh, That's fantastic. There's been a lot of discussion around this record, and it's well worth talking about and well worth listening to. And we get into it uh, a little, but we talk about a lot of other stuff, too. And uh, that's what made this a really fun and kind of relaxed conversation. I think we both really enjoyed it. Um, Thanks to Jad over at Blue's Funeral for helping connect me with Martin uh, Martin and I met briefly in 2017, but that has been a minute, and that was kind of a crazy night, so it was good to reconnect and hang out a little bit. Uh, and go check out the Blues Funeral post-wax series. Uh, that is pretty impressive, pretty dang awesome. Uh, as always, you can hit me up on the socials. I don't do much there, but I'll always respond to messages. Um, you can email me at fathominheavy at gmail.com. You can call me, you can text me, you can come over, say hello, uh, whatever. Um, All right, well, enough of this nonsense. Uh, Let's do it. we have a pre-recorded show as a part of the live stream we couldn't do it live because of like different reasons but the main one being that we would have to do it really late since it i think we're ours our set is the first one tonight and it starts at 11 p.m in like europe okay so i'm not really sure how many people are going to be awake for the howling giant at 5 a.m in the morning but uh, (laughs) i guess it's hard because it's also i mean for for you guys, it's going to be like a two o'clock in the afternoon show. Right. So that's where the time difference sort of sort of messes things up. Right. It's going to be out there on like YouTube or something for later on also, I guess. Yeah, I would like to see that. I wasn't even aware that was happening. And uh, I was going back and forth with Craig this morning. And he said, yeah. hey, they're playing a show tonight. And I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we had to do something. I mean, we're, we're usually kind of reluctant to do... Uh, we've been reluctant to do these kinds of streaming shows because I think it's it's really basically just a poor substitute for for seeing live music, uh, or at least I thought so last year. But now, since you know, we we look at the horizon and we can't really see ourselves playing until hopefully like October or something, okay. and then it's going to be like Swedish gigs. So we have to do something. I mean, the album's out there and. Uh, you need to do something. Yeah, it's a Even strange This time. is not like... Yeah, it is, and it's starting to take its toll, I think. <laughs> How are things going in Sweden? Like here, we had a really rough winter where it was just... In California, it was catastrophic in terms of the yeah. virus. And then things quickly just... It just plummeted. So right now, you know... Uh, they're, they're actually lifting the, the mask restrictions over the last you know week or so that started happening. Mm-hmm. And um, I think everyone is kind of going like, well, 
how are we actually supposed to, what's the right thing to do? We don't have to do this anymore, but what is the right, safe, ethical, responsible yeah. thing to do? And how's it going? You know, how's it going over there? Are you seeing similar restrictions being lifted? I know you weren't nearly as locked down as we were, but. No, but that's the strange thing. I mean, Sweden has had its own tactic during this whole pandemic. And I think the, what caused it is that I think that the Swedish like experts saw this as that there wouldn't be a vaccine coming for at least two years or something, that this was something that we would have to live for live with for a long time. And hence the sort of, there were restrictions, but they were not that strict. I mean, the outlets that had the, the suffered the most is by far like culture and sports, because that's where the crowds are gathered in a like standing situation uh but then you sort of once it became worse during the fall and we had a lot of deaths early on because we couldn't protect the elders here that's basically uh, as i see it a result of the like the structures we have here with a lot of poor wages for um people who work with uh in the elderly care and there's a lot of like not a lot of safety with like unions and stuff. So you have, you work hours and you can't afford to stay at home and then you go, even though you might have a runny nose or whatever. And then, you know, it starts there and then they bring it home to their families. So basically that's what happened last year, giving us such high death rates in the beginning. But then, I mean, it's the restrictions now are actually a lot stricter than last year. Mm. We're not allowed to have more than eight people in, a, uh, in the same room together, sitting down for like cinemas and theaters and whatever, which means that basically everything's closed, of course. Uh, but we've had restaurants and bars open throughout all of this. They close at eight, but it's, yeah. they're still open and there's like restrictions of distance. You have to keep your distance and you can't be more than four people. But um, and like malls and everything has been open throughout all of this. So it's a different strategy, really. And no masks, oh. just masks on the subway during rush hour, basically. And, then it, and that's just still, it's not a law, it's a recommendation. But uh, I mean, we're starting to see the vaccine happening here, but it's slower. I think if you're, if you're above 50, you can start doing, getting your shots now. Okay. But uh, it's going to, take a while to reach to the, like the bigger course. Yeah. That's Not very different. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we're going to have a slow opening also. That's what they say. They might increase the numbers to, I think they're supposed to increase the numbers on June 1st to 50 people maximum for a seated indoor uh, event, which is pretty far off from <laughs> getting the live scene up and going again. But uh I think there's going to be some strange things that we may or may not do during this summer also with like seated crowds or because if there's 50 people, that's still, it can make sense to do something. Mm-hmm. Eight is a bit harder, even though we played shows for us for less than eight people <laughs> also, but <laughs> you don't want, you don't want that to be like the upper limits. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. It must feel a little bit weird to have put you know this record out in the midst of all of this and then not have that the, the next phase in the cycle which is kind of the touring yeah it is but i mean 
there's a lot of bands who did that last year who haven't been out for for sure. a year now. So we just, I mean, it. I, I we we're friends with Lowrider, for instance, who put out this album last year that got the rave reviews and was voted like the best album of the year in many by many like different outlets. Uh, and they have not been able to play a single show since that one was released, which is. Uh, Elephantry, also friends who put out the great album and they can't do it either. So it's, we're not alone in this, but of course it's, it's a difference. It's a different thing though. Uh, but I'm, I mean, we still see that this, this album is a bit of a slow burner. So it might need some time to sort of <laughs> get some people to like it and get some kind of recognition. So maybe sometime this winter would be perfect to start going out and play shows if that's possible of course yeah the timing could actually be perfect you know you yeah. you released it to give people uh time to let it percolate and yeah grow on them and with them and then yeah i think i think the biggest challenge though is that there's so many postponed tours that needs to happen before bands like us can get on the road actually so it's going to be I heard these horror stories about like venues being booked throughout the entire next year with like preliminary bookings uh, because they switched the dates so or push them for push them forward and I think no one's booking for this year anymore. So there might be some random open slots somewhere, but if you've got it like Planetor or whatever, it's twenty two is going to be diff it's going to be difficult. So we just you have to roll with it though. There's yeah. not much we can do about it. No. <laughs> No, all you can do is roll with it and take it as yeah. these days. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just thinking about how far off things could be. Is there potential for another record in the midst of yeah. all? Yeah. I mean, we actually started talk, discussing this like just last week or something because after we recorded the seeds last summer, yeah. uh, we started, we've been basically practicing throughout the pandemic more than we ever have before. Because we've been able to do it, uh, none of us need to go by like subway or anything to the practice space, and it's a big practice space that we share with other bands. But uh, so I mean, there's a lot of square meters for us to, to stand like on a safe distance. It, we don't rehearse that long; it's maybe an hour or an hour and a half or two hours max with good ventilation and stuff. Yeah. But we've been able to do that far more intense than we had before. So we recorded this split a couple of weeks ago in the same studio that there's going to be a split uh, LP released sometime later this year. So we did our site for that. And we also did an ACDC cover for a Magnetic Eye redo album. Oh, like the, like the Pink Floyd ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, so when, once we had those things nailed, then we started to sort of relearn the tracks from Seeds that we haven't played since <laughs> last summer, <laughs> just to be able to sort of do this uh, live, to sort of be prepared and do this uh, streaming event. And now that that has been recorded, we, we don't really know what to do. We, it's, of course, we can still start to, to nail the tracks even better, but... You need some sort of like carrot also. Yeah. You need to be have something on the edge, on the other side of the tunnel, and it might might as well be that we start writing new material because, I mean, there's some inspiration also because I mean the album has been pretty well received and you sort of gain some kind of uh, strength to do more stuff when you hear those things. So, 
I'm not sure what will happen actually. Yeah. Something's going to happen. And we're right. not going to sit at home. <laughs> yeah. You feel that energy and, uh, um, it's a great record and we'll talk some about it. You've been talking a lot about it and I know that you're kind of in the middle of that talking about it phase that, you know, the press, the press phase. And I tend to kind of with this podcast, I tend to kind of want to stay out of that fray, you know, because yeah, sure. you get so tired of, I mean, you probably get so tired of answering the same questions and, and, you know, it's, it's important. It's important to answer those questions and have the conversations and to, fill people in on the process and how it all worked. And, you know, that has to happen. It's essential. But at some point, it's got to feel a little bit repetitive. So I try and kind of stay out of that and and talk to people when they, they haven't just put a new record out. But this opportunity popped up and I wanted to grab it. You and I met back in 2017. Yeah, yeah I remember that well. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know you had sort of uh, mixed feelings about that whole experience. (laughs) I think you met me when I was in like the worst state. (laughs) Uh, That was just I think we spoke right after we had played right or something. Yeah. Yeah, that was a strange experience. I, I'm that's being past. I'm way past that now. It's nope. not, it's not this big. <laughs> it's not this big wound that I'm just keep on poking around it. And so everything is good. Yeah, but good, uh, good, good. it takes some time to get distance from that kind of thing because you get so much tension build up before, and then yeah. things don't turn out anywhere near the way you plan them to. Actually, right, right. Yeah, no, I remember sitting with you guys and I just remember sort of the, the sense of despondency <laughs> coming, coming from all of you. And, you know, yeah. But I mean, if you go to do one of those things where someone actually brings you over overseas to have you do one, one show, you want to be at your best when you do it. And when you just can't do it because of like technical issues and gear issues and whatever, and everything starts to just, you sort of feel this as a, like world is falling apart around you and you're in the middle and you can't do anything because that was by far the worst uh, endeavors we've ever, ever had on a stage with like guitars suddenly disappearing and pedals not working and like tuning, everything was chaos. But I also know that a lot of people who went to that show has reached out and said that they really liked the show that they could sort of see that we had issues, but that that they didn't, they weren't that bothered by it. So of course it's something that builds up in your head also. And I can still remember seeing other bands who had like extreme technical issues and and I started to feel for them and I thought that shows were good anyway and I couldn't really get why they were so disappointed by it and sort of I get, I get everyone's reaction in this somehow now. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I mean, I'm one of those people that saw, saw your set and I know exactly what you're talking about, but I knew that it wasn't your fault and it was not any reflection of, of the band at all. And I thought you did the very best with what you had to work with. Um, and I was really glad. Yeah, thank one, you. yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's the one time I've seen you, and I, I, I wish you would have seen us some other time also. But and I will. <laughs> I, will I will make that sure. happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was happy for the opportunity, and you know, you're your yeah. own worst critic, of course. So you're in the midst of yeah. it. You know that things are going sideways, and it's like, oh man. But we've all seen bands with technical issues, and we we get behind them and cheer them on because 
it's got to suck for yeah. them in the moment. And we want as an audience to know that we appreciate you just showing up uh, and doing your thing. So, yeah. So you, you are in, you are in Stockholm. Yeah. I'm in Stockholm. I want to talk a little bit about you and your roots and get, get some background on you. Cause that's what I find really fascinating. And I know your band, I've listened to all of your records. I've seen you play. You've hung out a little bit, but I really don't know much about you and kind of where you came from. So one of the questions I like to kind of ask at the beginning is, um, you know, how did how did it start for you? How did you get into heavy music? Where'd you grow up? How'd you get connected to music? What were your first favorite bands? And then and then what happened? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, let's start from way back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I grew up in this really small town, uh, like... 80 kilometers south of Gothenburg on the countryside, more or less, uh, like inhabitants of 5,000, I think. So wow. it's a really small place. And this was like in the 70s, of course. I mean, I did like many kids in my generation. I saw Kiss. I saw a photo picture of Kiss, I think from like poster magazine or whatever. Yeah. And I realized that that has to be kind of cool. I don't think I actually heard the term heavy metal or even hard rock before I actually heard hard rock and realized that, okay, this is some kind of hard rock. <laughs> but that was not Kiss, though. I think the first band I heard was probably ACDC. Okay. But I had a Kiss period that was sort of... But they always they were more like this transition band for me because I started, once I discovered this, I was really moving along really fast. So, you know, first it kicks off with uh, Kiss and ACDC and Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, and uh, all of the bands that came off, like Dokken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I never really liked the melodical stuff. I wanted there to be some kind of energy. And, of course, Metallica was a game changer when Kill em All came out. And from there on, it sort of, it all became about this extremes, of course. And I went past that to, like, through death metal of course since I was sort of I grew up and was a bit of I had a small role in the like tape trading community here in like Scandinavia how old are you I'm uh, born 72 okay all right yeah so I'm pretty old actually yeah we're the same <laughs> but, yeah we're, we're the yeah, same. yeah 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 <laughs> but I mean that's uh well the thing is that when I grew up I think that heavy metal was kind of that was what you listen to because I, you saw all these like slightly older guys with like Black Sabbath back patches and uh, all of that and all the denim stuff. You sort of realize that, okay, those guys look pretty cool. They look kind of intimidating, maybe a bit dangerous and they might beat you up and they may have beaten you up, but still you, <laughs> still there was something about it that you wanted to be a part of. And I was pretty, I had friends who were interested also, but I was always the one who was really interested. Okay. I was the one who bought the most albums and sort of took the bus for 45 minutes to stop in and buy a Metal Hammer magazine because yeah. there was a news agent that had Metal Hammer, so I bought Metal Hammer and a Snickers bar and a Coke. Okay. I went <laughs> with the bus and waited while the bus driver had a smoke, got my magazine and got back on the bus. <laughs> so that was like routines I had back then. And I, every, every penny I had was spent on records, basically. Uh, but there was, uh, it's also, 
this this little town had um there was no real like bands local bands coming out of there there was some like blues rock and some cover bands but um as far as like original metal bands that we sort of liked there was nothing so <laughs> i started a band when i was like i was think i was like 14 possibly no yeah 14 or 15 uh, that was called Penance. We played thrash, uh, and it was just it was three of us, uh, one guitarist, and I only handled the vocals because I couldn't play for shit. And I had a really talented uh, friend who was really good at drums, and that's Adrian from At the Gates. Wow, became, became Adrian from At the Gates. But uh, we hung out a lot at that age. We went to shows together and bought records and just did a lot of mischief. You were kids together. Uh, yeah, basically, yeah. we in the like in our team, we had our teens together. Okay. Uh, but this band was going nowhere. We never really even had like a proper bass player. I think we just the bass player were like our spinal tap drummers. <laughs> they sort of appeared. We had someone rehearse with us once or twice, and then suddenly just vanished. So there was no like there was no future for that band, of course. And we during all this since we were involved in uh, or interested in the death metal thing, we started to go to like shows and saw Morbid Angel and uh, stuff. And during, on these trips, we met to Thomas from At The Gates, of course, who was in Grotesque at that time. And so we made friends and then it was kind of logical that when he was starting At The Gates later I and mean, he needed a drummer, he knew this guy who didn't really play in a band that was not really active. So Adrian joined them. And the funny thing is that right after that, his brother, <laughs> Adrian's kid brother, I started another band that played more like, yeah, you know, this Sonic Youth kind of noise rock thing, like Pixies or Sonic Youth, because I wanted to do something else. And so I sort of realized that pe people I knew were so much better at death metal than I was. So I needed to branch out and do something else instead. And I, I really enjoy that kind of music also. Then Adrian's brother, Daniel, played with us for a while. And he, he's now in Arch Enemy. Yeah. Uh, so I think he he was an excellent like indie alternative drummer because he's, he's so jazzy, but I'm, I don't think he would ever recognize be doing those demos with us, but he did. <laughs> he actually played that <laughs> like single-along, jolly like uh, indie guitar music for, for a couple of... That was a short-lived band, but still... So were you playing bass at that point or? or no, I was always, I played guitar in that okay. when we started doing the indie thing, because I mean, if you listen to a band like Sonic Youth, you sort of get the vibe that I, maybe I can play the guitar after uh -huh. all. I can do all the <laughs> Lee Ronaldo stuff. <laughs> uh, but I, uh, at that time, I sort of, soon thereafter, I started studying in Gothenburg and I met uh, Martin, who plays guitar in Domcrafts. And so he, he joined this band and we were in a band together for a couple of years also, like really inspired by like early Flaming Lips mm -hmm. and the African Wigs. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the uncontrolled, the old Oklahoma style of Flaming Lips where there was just like chaos and uh, feedback all of the time. Yeah. That's what we were into. So I realized that he's a really good guitarist so I could do the rhythm guitars basically to just cover up for him. And it's basically the same now. I just switched the rhythm guitar for a bass uh -huh. because it's all about giving him the freedom to do his things, really, and just keeping the pace. Right. 
I'm sorry, this kind of took off from the, the learnings of <laughs> discovering no, it, that into something it, else, but it's it's just such a straight line somehow. <laughs> it, it's completely fascinating. And and I mean, there's all these places I wanted to jump in, but I wanted to also just yeah, sure. talk. But um, I mean, going back to the earliest stuff, we had, we had the exact same trajectory there for a while. I mean, it was the yeah. exact same bands and ACDC and Kits. And in fact, the last time I was in Stockholm, I went to a store called... Uh, trash palace yeah yeah and and i actually bought seven of those old swedish poster magazines the ones that you yeah. you just yeah, yeah yeah i bought a big i bought seven of them but i know that 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 sweden has has been a very heavy rock and metal friendly country there's always been stuff happening bands would always go there i mean you know kiss going and playing at uh grona london in 76 yeah. or first European tour, you know, I mean, there's just all of those stories and, and Metallica, of course, the last show with, with Cliff Burton. Did you go to that? No, nah. but I saw the first one with Jason though. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I missed out on that tour because I, I think, I'm not really sure why I didn't go really. It doesn't make sense because I was going to shows at that stage, but something might've come up, you know, there's all the kinds sure. of obstacles yeah. that kind of appear. It's interesting to think about where you grew up and where I grew up because there was so much happening that was similar in both places. And I would do the exact same thing. I would get on the bus, you know, it would take me an hour <laughs> to get to the record store and I would buy Metal Hammer and I would buy Kerrang! Yeah. and Ard Shock and those magazines that they were selling out of this one store that had import records and import magazines. And, and that's what I did with all of my money. Did, did you have metal forces in the states? Also? We had, yeah, we had metal forces. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was the best one because yeah. you had all of the uh, classified ads, also where you can get in touch with people and trade right. stuff. Right, and those early issues were were long, like really kind of oversized and super skinny with, and it was all just typewritten. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of fun to go back and look at. Um, I have, I I kept all of that stuff. Oh, that's good for you. I lost so much when uh, moving yeah. and stuff. Um, yeah, I um, I have boxes of that stuff. I should go through some of that and see what all's there. It's been years, but like you, that's you know that's what I did with my money and my time. And uh, I would save my lunch money and go to the store on Saturdays and <laughs> buy a used record yeah. and, and an import magazine. The um, thing is that if you try to tell your kids about this, they just look at you because they, it's so, it's like sci-fi to them. Yeah. It's like. It doesn't resonate in any way with how their lives look, <laughs> but it's fun. You it's have like nostalgia. Yeah, exactly. Well, you have kids, right? Yeah, I and got two. I don't, but a lot of my friends do, and it's interesting mm -hmm. having discussions about kind of how kids engage with, well, with the world kind of in general, but you know how how they listen to music and how they read articles and get turned on to to bands or whatever. It's I guess ultimately it it ends up in the same place. It's just such a different journey. It feels like they have to work a lot less hard for it because it's all yeah. right there. But I'm not sure that that is all that bad. There's some sort of lack of subcultures mm. in these kids today. It's basically, since everything is available to everyone, subculture is more like, a, like clothes and stuff. And it sort of sometimes relates to music, but from what I see, my daughter is 12. Okay. So she's starting to get into that zone. Um, but it seems to be, it's not like music driven. 
uh, in any way. It's they've got artists uh, or that they like, and I mean, for her, she really likes Billie Eilish, mm-hmm. which I think is great because she's got. To me, Billie Eilish has this sort of there's an honesty to her that I sort of lack in a lot of the other stuff she's playing, and there's a lot of you know TikTok things going on. And she's watching all these short videos and knows songs just by the chorus or just by the break, like the 15 seconds everyone knows. And then she can hear something when we're like have the radio on in the car or something. Oh, this is that song, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. <laughs> so it's so, it's not even comparable in that sense. But I I was happy to see her like get some sort of some kind of emotions happening while listening to just Billie Eilish instead of like all the others, Ariana Grande and whatever, who are more like classical pop stars, manufactured pop stars. She's basically just embarrassed that I'm in a band because ah, okay. most other parents aren't. <laughs> that's <laughs> you, you just want your parents to be like everyone else in that yeah. age. But my five-year-old's a bit different because he responds to music in a different way. He really likes, um, you know, it's, in Sweden we have, everyone's taking paternity leave. Mm. All, the dads also. So... With both my kids, I stayed home for like at least half a year. Wow. And uh, just spending time with them when they're like really small. And when I was with him, we listened to so much music and uh, a lot of like heavy music because I sort of, re- I could go figure right away that he likes this. So we listened to like old Sacred Reich albums. We listened to like Terrorizer. We listened to, he really likes Sadus for some reason. He Maybe. likes the first Sadus album. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Delicious. And he's good enough. He has taste enough to, th- to think that the other Sadus albums are just boring, but he likes Illusions. So that's probably his favorite album right now. Yeah. Old, his favorite record is the first Sadus record. That's amazing. Yeah, I think there's, uh, we can read some common ground there. I also love that album. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm not, he's going to, of course, eventually he's going to drop into the same. Um, I think he's, he's pretty, he's got his own mind. He's pretty much, he's uh, an own character in a more like obvious sense than his sister was. So we might we we'll have to see what happens, but I think the risk is big that it's just going to be one of listening to the stuff on TikTok also eventually. <laughs> so I'll just have to <laughs> dwell in this as long as I can. Really, yeah. with with your daughter, you're not seeing um, you're not seeing the pull of like the vinyl resurgence or anything with her. I'm hearing a oh, little she's bit too more young. of that. She's too young. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Since I have, also since I have all these vinyl albums, she probably thinks it's just a dad thing right now. Yeah. So it might have been more interesting if I did not have all of those. So it was something True. that she and her friends discovered themselves. Right. But you know that might come around when she gets a little older and lands more in herself. Yeah. Because this is a great. I was. I remember myself that at this age that she's just coming into, it's a critical age in many ways. Yeah. So we'll see. No yeah, one would be yeah. happier than me, but <laughs> <laughs> I was in a record store a few weeks ago and I was actually in the CD section looking at something and these two young girls walked in and walked past me and one of them said, CDs are for old people. Yeah. And I just I just quietly laughed to myself. And it could be that like your son's generation will will be the ones who yeah. know, go back to dig into the 
CD racks and there'll be a CD resurgence in 20 years or 10 years. Yeah, I've got all these boxes in the basement, so he, he can just ravage through them. It's like, I think it's like at least six or 700 of them. Yeah. But I, 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 I have the vinyls up, but the CDs still have to sort of stay away for a while until the resurgence really happens <laughs> and, I, and I get a bigger place or something. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> something's got to give, you know. <laughs> that is the thing, yeah. That's what I run into. But it's also fun. My, my daughter asked me uh, like a couple of weeks ago, Dad, what's a cassette? Mm. And I tried to explain it and she was like, is this a cassette? And she came with all of these kinds of things and I... And I thought, I, I'm going to show her a mini disc and really fuck her up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's something that our generation really can't explain. So no. <laughs> Those came and went so fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I still have them though. Also, they were good to record music on. Okay. Yeah. That was like the, the DAT, the DAT cassettes that you could actually afford and use right. on your own to do like demos and stuff yeah i think i would have to have someone explain how those actually work to me too i was such a like transition transition formats uh-huh. it was somewhere in between analog and digital some strange way because it was totally digital but it felt analog somehow because it was this disc thing super strange really but then, then I the mean, mp3s came yeah. but then the mp3s came mm. ipods came and that kind of crushed that yeah it was kind of the uh well, here it was kind of the VHS versus Betamax. Kind yeah, of. exactly. <laughs> it was something called Video 2000 also, I remember. That was the oh. third format, at least in Europe. They had all the good horror films because the horror companies started doing Video 2000. So if you went to someone who had a like Video 2000 set, you know that you were going to get the good stuff. <laughs> okay. Like you found the one guy. <laughs> yeah. Video 2000, yeah. But that guy also had the Betamax and the VHS system. <laughs> you never had only that. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's kind of like Laserdisc here. They, they were putting yeah. out lots of horror, you know, deluxe yeah. horror sets, box sets and stuff, stuff you, you, know, you couldn't get anywhere on any other format, putting those out on Laserdiscs. And, um, but do you remember also that when you saw films, old horror films on Laserdisc, you discovered that they were not anywhere near as scary because... The resolution was too good. Yeah. You could actually see how crap everything was. <laughs> to have like a third generation copied VHS horror film was the best because Those you could were the best, yeah. vaguely see what was happening. <laughs> right. Ones that have been watched, you know, a thousand times. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that were just so grainy and blurry that added to it. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, it did. I mean, sometimes watching stuff like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like on Blu ray, yeah. I remember the first time I saw it, which was on. You know, yeah, a third or fourth generation VHS copy. I, 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 it's never had the impact that it had. Of course, I was, however, thirteen or fourteen when I saw that, and that movie is going to impact me more at that age anyway. But I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, a little less is more. Yeah, this, this is something more like the graininess and the darkness does something. Also, yeah. it sort of gets you in this state that you can't really deal with, like sharp DVDs or whatever. So it's I can actually see that that's the, like the genre that suffered the most from technology. It's like mm-hmm. horror, but yeah, I mean, there's uh, then you had to do the soul thing and just go all in with the gore, make it as bright, as repulsive as, as possible. Yeah, right. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Sort of going back to your trajectory, um, you met 
you met Martin and you started playing with him in this other noisier rock kind of a thing. Um, how did, yeah. what, how, how, how did that transition into what you're doing now? Actually it didn't, it was, I think that was like a 15 year break. Okay. The bands, but we saw, we moved to, we, we met in Gothenburg and we hung out so much in Gothenburg, but basically every day. And we started, we did a lot of, we really hit it off as for both as friends and also as like creating music because we think in a similar way, if he does this, uh, I know that I'm supposed to do that. You know, we moved to so the band, we were in disbanded and we moved to Stockholm, both of us basically at the same time. We had like girlfriends and like different occupations, but we stayed in touch all of the time. And um, we had some kind of projects going on, just me and him and like a bit of synth and stuff doing like this crowd thing, electronic crowd rock mm -hmm. with some vocals and sort of, I'm not really sure how to describe it because we I think we recorded about like 50 or 60 songs, but none of them like finished productions. It's just like skeletons of songs. Wow. Some of those ideas have sort of found their way into Domcraft songs also. But we never, I think we played, we played live twice. We played at a friend's festival and at a wedding at another friend. It was just like the weirdest wedding band ever. Two guys <laughs> just like synths on the guitar making noise. But yeah, you know, that's, <laughs> people seem to get off on it because they were drunk enough. We sure. played late. Yeah. Uh, but that band never really happened. So when Martin, who actually initiated the Domcraft thing, uh, said that he was bringing the band together to do like more classic, just too heavy music yeah. in whatever way that would be. But just to see what would happen if we go and play heavy. That was like, I think we started talking about it in like 2012 or something. And then it took a couple of years until we actually... Uh, started rehearsing but it was sort of uh, that had I mean the idea had been growing for quite a while that we wanted to still continue playing because we never sort of said that we're not going to play anymore it's just that the timing wasn't right really and you have to have some kind of inspiration and so yeah get the chemistry going again did you have a sense of the direction that you wanted to go beyond just wanting to play something heavy yeah I think that no no when we we listened to during this hiatus or what you want to call it from being like active musicians or if you want to, <laughs> I'm not really sure, I'm not really comfortable with saying the word musician, but like with yeah. someone who <laughs> plays music. But we listened to so much, we listened to music so much during that period also. But to the, there was, I listened to a lot of the old heavy stuff. I came back to that. Yeah. And we listened to a lot of electronic music like minimal techno and stuff because I really still love how the, those songs build. It's washed out now when the EDM thing happened, but for a couple of like years before that broke big, there was some really, really good stuff happening, especially from like Germany and France. So we had all of this sort of in our like nerve systems when we started to think about playing heavy again. So it's sort of all of these impulses from like Band from everything from like Sabbath and Slayer and ACDC to Mabada Valentine and Sonic Youth and Spiritualized Spaceman 3, of course, and mm. like 
loop and uh, CAN and NOI and mm. all, all of the electronic stuff. And so what happens if we mold all of this together and do it with in a classic like rock setting? We started off as a two guitarist band, but uh, it sort of became evident pretty soon that we should just have one guitarist instead. It's basically because it's uh, what we wanted to do suits better to not to be just three people because it's easier to sort of get going in a way and not to to just since we have been playing for such a long time me and martin together we just i mean we the guy who played with us john is a great guy and he's a really really good guitarist but he also wanted to take more time doing stuff and he wanted to be more elaborate when writing and he wanted to also he was more into like the early maiden stuff and that was really hard to combine with us just wanting to go I think at a stage we said that we, we want to play Noi or and Can as played by Bomb Reaper. That was actually the, <laughs> well, we thought that we were gonna be we were gonna be an instrumental band also, but uh, that was how it started. And then it's just sort of we became really productive right away when we started uh, got this like the trio thing going. And Anders, the drummer, is also someone who we knew from back in Gothenburg. He, we shared a rehearsal space with his uh, old band, and he was—he played in a band back then that sounded a lot like Tool, I'd say. They were pretty early on doing that, like kind of alternative take on metal that was super technical in a way, but also like emotionally driven and a lot of like dissonant guitars and stuff. So we knew that he was a really good drummer and a good guy. So he was, and basically he was the only drummer we knew in Stockholm. So it was obvious that he was supposed to play with us and it's been working out really good. So it's been the three of you consistently. Yeah. yeah. Apart from like the first half year when we were four, but yeah. we never recorded anything. So, I mean, I, I think one of the songs on the first EP is a collaboration with the old guitarist also. Everything from that, from there on, is something that we just did as a trio. It's interesting, the idea of having a second guitar player. And I think that, I hadn't even thought yeah. about that, but I think I agree with you. You and, and Anders really kind of propel, you're the motion in the band. And Martin on guitar is really adding the, the texture. And when you mention, it's interesting, you mentioned My Bloody Valentine. I mean, we all know, how big and huge and noisy and textured they can get that when you when you said that it it just kind of a light went off for me because there's a lot of there is a lot of room in what you're doing for that kind of thing and that's one of the things that I I really love about about your band is that you kind of hold it down with very steady but very interesting bass lines and Martin will come in and play along but then he'll go off and do something a little bit different and is, you know, is adding and building and bringing things back. And that's what I think really makes it, makes it kind of special as opposed to just a straight riff after a straight riff. I mean, you stretch out and I mean, it's, it's full, but there's a lot of space in there and he's doing a lot on top. Um, yet there is still something that's, that's very, it's hard to talk. It's hard. It's hard to talk about music. I get frustrated doing it because yeah. I it, finding the words, you know. But there is something very sort of mantra-like about what you guys are doing that I love. I mean, and I would take that any day over 
just like another kind of stone or rock kind of thing. That's not so much my thing, but what you guys are doing coming from sort of the same roots, but going off in this other direction, uh, that, that repetition that almost it's not drone, but there are drone elements to it. It's drone adjacent, I think. And, um, that, that hits my, all my, all my sweet spots. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I get that. And that's because since we have the same background to such a big extent, that makes total sense because we've been, we've, we've done songs that have been more like classical, like if you say generic, like riff doom or stone riff songs. Yeah. But those have never really stayed in the set for that long. Or, and we've dished, I mean, we've dumped a lot of those ideas on the way also because you start to play it and feel like, can we do something with this or is it just too generic? And what we do usually is we, we remove something mm. and we shorten like to make it, you know, make it more like a loop and then you can get something going. But it's, I mean, what you said before is kind of interesting because I think that's, we talk a lot about, when we do music, we talk a lot about, especially for this album, that you should feel it in your, like, uh, you should feel it in your body, you should feel it in your brain, and you should feel it in your heart, to an extent. Or mind, I should say, rather than brain. It's not brainy music. No, I get what you mean. Something should resonate. And if me and Andres decides what the body should feel, then Martin sort of decides what the mind should feel to an extent, because he, he's the one who does, elevates stuff. And then perhaps the vocals could do something with what you feel sort of emotionally also, in combined, with, combined with the guitars, of course. But I, I mean, we, we know that we have different places in this band, and we sometimes, to a degree, switch those roles also. Someone has to keep the riff going. Yeah. It's usually the bass, but sometimes we let it, we let the guitar do it and the bass does something different. It doesn't happen often because basically the bass lines are the same from the start to finish with small minor adjustments. Mm. But it's that's the way music that we really like um, is constructed. I mean, I like complex music also, but it's not for us to do that. You don't have to do any, everything you like. You don't have to... I love Fleetwood Mac. I would never do anything that sort of resembles trying to do a Fleetwood Mac songs, but you can steal like ideas or like uh, what do you, uh, atmospheres from those bands also. Sure, sure. And try to incorporate it. But uh, that's basically, when we talk about stealing stuff, we steal ideas. We don't steal like uh, riffs or... Um, I mean, of course, we steal riffs, but <laughs> it's not not intentionally in that sense. But we steal like this idea that you could do something this way also, and then we bring it into our music and see what happens. But I think it's yeah, it's true. It would it would be difficult to do this with two guitars because then it would be just another layer of rhythm that would sort of mix things up when you try to do a mix or anything. Because we really give the guitar a lot of space in the mix. When we started out, both me and Martin bought a lot of fusses and uh, like effect boxes and pedals and stuff. Uh, he still does that to refine his sound. I gave that up. I came down to having one fuss pedal and one uh, overdrive. That's it. And yeah. I stuck with those. Yeah. 
instead of trying to experiment with every new pedal I saw because that was a sound that functions well in our music. It's kind of gravelly and low end. There were times when we sort of battled over the same frequencies when I had this major like high level fuzz things happening and he also, so you could barely make out what was what and then you want to add a vocals to that and it's just, so it's, the too songs much. got better. Too much, yes. Yeah, the songs got better when we sort of stripped those things off a bit. For me, because Martin is still, it's new, it's new pedals every week, basically. <laughs> I think he's, he should, <laughs> he should get help for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> the monkey for anyone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that, um, that also kind of stands out for me just in looking at, at the visuals that you guys present is the, is the artwork, which is, it's also really unique. The color palette, the, the images themselves, the way the logo is presented, it's, it's, it's pretty atypical uh, of, not, of, of this type of music. And I think that that yeah. is it's fantastic. And this new record, Seeds, with the 3D imaging and the glasses, which I haven't actually, I don't actually have a physical copy of it yet. I will get one soon, but I've looked at multiple images. Um, everything from just that stark bone structure on the box set, you know, just that, that photo, which kind of reminds me of um, some of the, the mid 2000s, you know, neurosis some, yeah. some of these visuals, which are, are, are brilliant. And it's all, it's all the same artist, right? Bjorn uh, Adeldax? Atelax, yeah. Atelax. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean it's all basically him. Oh. Um he's um he's a friend of mine who okay. I met I met playing like Sunday League soccer, actually. <laughs> and um he's this really renowned uh, illustrator and artist. And he uh he he's not in in the heavy scene at all, actually. He likes he likes weird. He likes a lot of stuff that metal fans like, but he not, doesn't listen to heavy music in that sense. He likes Jesus on the Mary Chain, okay. and he likes Gigi Allen when Gigi Allen does country, and he likes <laughs> super weird music. <laughs> a lot of a lot of things that sound super lo-fi uh, and strange. But uh, he actually, we when our first EP came out, we had a different artist. Uh, who, that was pretty much a crowd thing uh, with like really graphical and uh, this landscape thing happening. And he said, yeah, that's nice, but you should let me do your next one. And we were like, uh, I don't think we can afford that. But he was mm. like, ah, I'll do it for free. I just, it's just fun to do this. And uh, so we had a little chat and he, he looked at what other bands in like the genre did. And so this was his interpretation of uh, how like... A, like doom record or whatever it should look like because it's got the elements it's got the skulls and then it's got this abundance of weird shit happening yeah and the color scheme that is totally off and there's so much detail if you look at there's kind of like almost like um cartoonish characters mm -hmm. hidden in the other covers so we did that with the first and the second album and um I mean, he's done insane stuff. I really love what he's doing. Uh, and for the third one, he said that he wanted to do something. He didn't want to draw this time. And we were like, okay. 
So what do you want to do? I want to build a diorama. He said, okay. Out of parts from dead animals. All right, let's do that. <laughs> and, um, and it's going to be in 3D. <laughs> We're like, oh, yeah. Let me check with the label. <laughs> and they were like, what do you mean 3D? Does it have to be 3D? And the, But they were on, on the idea. Once they saw what he intended to do, basically. And uh, I mean... I saw the building. I think there's there's this uh, version of the CD that comes with an art book that is yeah. also included in the big box set. And you can actually see a bit from the building of all these animals and him building the diorama just by going out into a park, stealing plants and stuff. And <laughs> and we were there for the shoots. It's amazing. And he has a friend called... Um, uh, oh, I lost his name right now. Ah, but but he he has his home built basically home built three D camera. So he shot uh, all these different different uh, variations of the setup, and uh, we we got to look at it on the screen with the three D glasses. And I mean, the detail was insane. It's like it's it's super good three D. So we were just stoked about it, and I think the label initially wanted like to have a non three D version for. Spotify and uh, I mean the online services and perhaps for the CD also and I think that Bjorn was supposed to send them a non-3D version and he told us yeah I sent those but he, he didn't want to send anything that wasn't 3D so but it works without the glasses also it just looks really fucked up yeah and we've actually had people <laughs> telling us I was listening to the album but I and I tried to look at the 3D but I just I got a headache because people, some people seem to think that it's like the, those, you know, 90s 3D pictures where you stared at it yeah. for 30 seconds <laughs> and a donkey would appear or right. something. Like Darth Vader <laughs> pops out or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's not, I think you're going to get really sick if you try to do that on this yeah. one. You really need the glasses to get the full them. experience. Yeah. 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 I mean, we're so happy to have him. It's um, amazing. He does, he does, He's done a couple of new like shirt designs also, and uh, we had we actually borrowed all the animals for when we shot the streaming video, so they're present on set. Okay. It looks really strange, but uh, you have to do something. If you can't get like a fairly drunk crowd in front of you, you have to do yeah. something that sort of resembles something less than three guys standing in a practice space. Absolutely. So I mean, this is this was a way of using this opportunity to do something yeah. a little different and yeah. that you may not have done otherwise. No, probably not. It's, it's been a hard work, so we would be way too lazy to do this if we didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> a little, little extra time makes something yeah. Yeah. crazy and great. Yeah. Yeah. You have, you have to do something, otherwise you just get insane these days as, as yeah. i think actually i want to ask um a very specific question um just because i have no i have no idea how this happened and the first time i heard it i said that sounds like mark lanigan and so i, I did some research and it, it, lo and behold it was mark lanigan how did you get mark yep. lanigan to sing on where we part ways on slow fidelity <laughs> that's a kind of funny story actually <laughs> And I'll give you the short one. Told this a million times. I've never heard. No, I, I haven't told it that many times. But actually, but the thing is that 
Uh, I'll do a medium long version of the story okay. because it could be really long, it could okay. be really short, but <laughs> there's some background. That track was actually recorded for the end of Electricity, your first album. Okay. Because we really, when we recorded that, we did we weren't signed to any label. We just recorded it ourselves and felt like, okay, we'll put this out ourselves, like we did with EP, that was doing fairly well. Uh, but it would, it would be good if someone else would do it because it's, of course, it's a hassle to release something on your own also. Sure. And so we got in touch with uh, Magnetic Eye pretty fast, and they were, like, super keen to release it. So it was, I, we didn't speak to anyone else, basically. I, I had been in touch with Mike before, and he said, oh, let's do this. But what they didn't really want to do was to do a double album with a <laughs> debutante band, and I completely get that now. <laughs> I get that now, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, so we had to sort of get something off the album because it was like this strange album that was supposed to be like 58 minutes or whatever and one song being like 30 minutes. Oh. It's not really, there's no logic in that presenting an album thing. We've, we've learned that now, of course. <laughs> but, um, so that one had to go and that was an instrumental track back then. Okay. Which was even more, made even less sense, of course, for the label to release it to put out an extra vinyl for releasing a 30 minute <laughs> uh, instrumental track. Right. But uh, so it's, we, Jad also really, Jad from the label also really liked the song, but we didn't really know what to do with it because it's also hard to release as a single. But then he, when he got the idea for the post wax, wax project, he said that we could do it. That's, I want you to be a part of that and we should do something around that track also. And he had this, I think he got the idea from some old, uh, could it be an Alice in Chains track where there were like multiple guest singers or something? I'm not an Alice in Chains fan at mm-hmm. all, but but he was, re- uh, Jan really likes him. So I think it came from there somehow. And so the idea was to have like a bunch of different singers doing the different, because it's basically a triptych. There's three different parts right. of the song. Uh, and so we started discussing and uh we both realized that Leia, who sings in Besvarielsen, who is a band that Jad has been working with and we played with, that she she was like perfect to do one of the parts. And because she's got this really soulful, you know, basically almost crooning voice also. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we wanted her and we could get her just, that was basically just a message away. Okay. And then we wanted to have... Um, we're friends with Slomatics since uh, actually before Vegas, but the, that was the first time we met them in person. And uh, we really love those guys. And we wanted Marty and me to do like a duet for the final part because we have similar registers. And we felt like, okay, just, just scream our lungs out and see where it lands. <laughs> and then we have the middle part where we, we, we wanted to have someone more established there, and that was Jad's project. He was the one who was researching names to do that, and he was in touch with so many really like prominent voices, and a couple of them were interested, but they couldn't get it to do, work with like time slots or whatever. And during this, when he was he was actively looking for the right voice, uh, I went with a friend to see Mark Lanigan play in Stockholm. And I know that Jad loves Mark Lanigan. So I sent him a photo during the show and maybe this guy could do some vocals for us. I sent him just, and he was like, ha ha. 
yeah. <laughs> Way out of your league, man. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Keep on dreaming or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But then he, so he sort of came back to me a couple of weeks later. You're not going to believe what just happened. Because then he had gotten in touch via Elaine Johannes. He's got in touch with um, Mark and uh, sent him the track. And he was like, yeah, I like this. I can yeah. do that. So, uh, and we were like, should we do, I've got lyrics, do you want the lyrics? But no, no, I'll just make it up. And so he's, he was doing, it was his, his part is really Mark Lanigan also with tarantulas and like yeah. all of that. <laughs> the stuff yeah. that he uses, is, that's, that's really his language. Uh, but he sent it back and we were just like, yeah, this is exactly how we want it. Because he sounds like vintage Mark Lanigan also. Yeah. He sounds like the old classical kind of Lanigan that we really like. So that's basically it. That's okay. how it happened. And it's amazing to have him on there. I, I mean, he does a lot of collaborations. He mm. really does. But I think that this one was, at least to me, kind of special because he, I get the feeling that people try to overproduce him sometimes because we, we really kept his voice really dry and clean mm -hmm. when we mixed it because we wanted it to be that way. And it's really on top of the music yeah. Yeah. because he's the one who should lead it. And we had, we've actually played that song once with, when we played with Lowrider and Basvarius and at the last show we did before the pandemic, basically, which was some sort of, a Swedish post-wax gig with bands from Sweden who were uh, involved in the post-wax thing. And Peter from Lowrider did Mark Lanigan's part. And okay. <laughs> he, he just, ad he didn't take, he didn't have the time to really learn them. So he just ad-libbed <laughs> throughout Mark Lanigan's parts. And that was also really, really amazing to hear, but, but super strange in a way, but uh, yeah. it's not really cool. So uh. Maybe if we ever get to play those really long slots, we can do that again with somehow just bring up some guy who has a cool low voice to do that part <laughs> any way they want to. So that was all done. You you haven't actually spent any time with Mark Lanigan. Um, oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I haven't met him. He, he gave some quotes to the... What he, why he got a... Why he liked the track. And he was... Uh, it's amazing. I think he said like, well, it's kind of kind of cool, kind of cool classic old school hard rock, mm. which is perhaps not how I would describe the song, but it's yeah, if that's his take, that's fine. Yeah, I wouldn't describe it that way either, but I I did find myself thinking about like this is kind of what I always wanted the screaming trees to sound like. Yeah. You know, yeah. they weren't, yeah. that, they're not, they weren't that far off from it. No, they, they touched that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Really. I mean, they did. I saw them doing their most infamous gig ever at Roskilde in 92, actually. If you look it up on YouTube, you can actually find it. And that's, okay. there's a good portion about that show uh, in the new biography that Mark. I read, I read that last year. year. He was in a bad way. Yeah. I can't remember what happened at that show, but I know that because I saw, I saw them like in October of 92. Um, yeah. So they, they would have just come back from that European tour. What happened at that gig? I can't, I can't remember. Well, I re as I recall it, it's a bit blurry. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, I came there and they were on stage and it was like, I think they closed the big stage uh, 
for, for strange reasons. They played often Nirvana or something. Oh. And from what I read in the book, that was because Kurt Cobain refused to play after Screaming Trees because he had such reverence for them, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so they forced <laughs> Screaming Trees to play after Nirvana, which is not an easy feat in no. 1992, I guess it was. Yeah. So he was in a he was in a really bad mood, and I think it started off with him like just starting to mess with the monitors, trying to throw the monitors on the stage guards. Then it's sort of this complete chaos erupted where he was like fist fighting one guy, one of the like stage hands on stage, and some the guitarist jumped in and everything. It was just. It was just mayhem, and they like crashed the drum kit. They smashed the guitars, and they started throwing monitors again. And then they just left the stage, and everything. They turned out the you know the, the white lights, and it, the night was over. Wow. And I was like, yeah, that was kind of cool. I think people can <laughs> remember that for a while. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but yeah, and that guy sang with us a couple of years later. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. No, it was just, it, it was such a surprise to hear that voice when I first heard that album. And I just had to stop and say, is this, is this actually him? Because it worked so well. Yeah. And like you said, uh, you let him be him. He did his thing exactly how he needed to do it. Um, and that's when he works the best. That's when he's perfect. Oh, yeah. 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 What a, a life that guy has. <laughs> As yeah, I mean, you, you hear it, you hear it in in his voice, um, and it's 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 just an amazing story that he was able to um, go as low as he went, um, yeah, and and then come, you know, uh, rise back up to to, to where he is now. Um, just incredible. Yeah, that's kind of a comeback. I mean, it's really hard. I, I always find it hard to sort of uh, realize. Uh, what it is to be in that kind of addiction because I mean, everyone has got like seen addiction up close these days with like friends or family in the worst case. And, but it's really hard to, even with those people imagine what's going on inside. And the the fact that anyone can sort of get out of that is just, uh, just amazes me because at the lowest points, you really, you don't think that there's any possibility that this is ever going to get better. Right. Because there is actually really nothing saying that. So this must be some kind of human perseverance that is stronger than you actually can really believe, actually. This is basically a a more drawn-out version of this, you know, the story about a woman lifting a car to save her kid who's trapped underneath it. This is like a stretched-out version of that, if you can come back from something like that. Mm -hmm. You sort of invoke some kind of energy that no one really knew what was there. Right. And of course, a lot of people don't do that, but uh, right. it's really good for those who did. Yeah, really amazing, really inspiring Yeah, to hear those stories and just kind of soul-crushing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, that's a hard read, that book. That was it's, a rough uh, one, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's so, um, I mean, he doesn't really stay shy of anything either. He's, he's not like... Is, there's nothing that feels like he's covering something up. It's all out there. Mm-hmm. And that's also, it's, I mean, it's a troubling read. I got, I felt like physically ill when I read it, but uh, I was also at the same time, of course, uh, really amazed by it. 
by the storytelling and the, you just you actually start really rooting for him mm-hmm. uh, like like he's some sort of he's really the protagonist of the story yeah and be, and also because it's because it stops just as it probably starts to get better mm-hmm. and the last 20 years are sort of left out it also becomes this really yeah it's it's a really good book actually yeah but uh, and like you said troubling the the amount of just kind of suffering and and disdain for his for the screaming trees. I mean that that sounded like a terrible yeah. experience for him. He didn't seem to like any of that. <laughs> um, I never did. That's the funny part. Yeah. It, it wasn't like he was. It turned sour. It was sour from the start. From the <laughs> start. Yeah. yeah. He didn't like those guys. He didn't like the music. <laughs> he didn't like much of any of it. <laughs> that's actually that's the funny part of the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of the like. All of the trees related uh, stories with the brothers and stuff is that's really funny that's mm-hmm. almost like slapstick comedy yeah yeah but it kind of bummed me out at the same time because i love the screaming trees and uh yeah and it, it made me see them a little bit differently yeah i think you can see that in a lot of bands from especially from that era once you get the opportunity to actually make some money you you swallow a lot of things that you wouldn't have done otherwise right lucky for all of us that uh he pulled out of that and has yeah. given us what he's given us over the last, you know, 20, 25 yeah. years. Yeah. Just incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. This has been uh, really fun. Uh, I really enjoyed yeah. chatting <laughs> about all of this stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Inside my head It won't stop my